Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Morning, Harvest. Stella, thank you for reading the passage for us this morning. Uh, I'm going to start a new short series on the life and ministry of a guy that is kind of familiar, but maybe not that familiar to a lot of us. His name is Barnabas, and I've always been fascinated by leaders who can make as much of an impact from the second chair as many other leaders do from the first chair. They may not have the position or title or even the authority and resources, but somehow from that position they manage to really make an impact in the lives of others and in the world around them. And so I've always wanted to preach on Barnabas, and uh, to preach on Barnabas is to tell the story of the power of the ministry of encouragement. So this morning I want to start a short series and walk through the life and ministry of Barnabas together. When you look at uh, verse 36 uh, in the New Living Translation, Luke reveals for us that the name Barnabas, the one most familiar to us, is actually not his given name, um, but it's his nickname. His real name is Joseph, but his nickname is the one we all call him by, Barnabas. Nicknames are powerful because while a given name is what you get at birth, a nickname is something you earn through your life. I was always proud of the fact that my friends in college gave me the nickname, The Fly. You know, the reason they gave me that is not because I'm smelly and I'm attracted to poop, but it's because <clears throat> um, when we played a lot of touch football in college, they said that I was one of the quickest out there. And so just like a fly, you swear you're going to catch him, you swat at him, and next thing you know, you've missed him. And so I've always been really proud of that nickname, that my friends called me the fly, because it meant I was too quick to catch. The people who gave Barnabas his nickname were the apostles, the top leaders of the church. And they gave him that nickname because they watched him closely, and he had such a remarkable impact on the people around him, that wherever he went, he brought this kind of encouragement and so much so that his nickname literally is translates to son of encouragement. He was so encouraging. It was as though he was born for it. He was born to be this kind of person. The word encouragement in English is interesting because it literally means to give courage or impart courage to someone. It might mean that they're discouraged or it might mean that they're lacking courage. The Greek word for encouragement is periklesis. Now, the reason I'm saying this is because that turns out to be a very important word in the New Testament. It has two distinct meanings. One meaning is to call out alongside, to approach someone and call out to them. And the other is to come alongside someone in support and comfort. So, the basic idea is this. When we encourage people, we can do it differently depending on their situation. For example, I might encourage you with some words of comfort and support because you were just laid off and lost your job. Or I might encourage you to get off the couch and sharpen your resume and fill out some applications because you need a job, but you're not really moving to get one. And so either way, whether you need a comfort or you need a challenge, encouraging gives motivation and an uplift to somebody who's in a bad place. In John 14, 26, Jesus tells us something very interesting. He calls the Holy Spirit our helper. 
And what he says is, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in his name, will teach us all things and bring to remembrance the things that Jesus has said to us. That word helper is the same word that is later translated encouragement. It's paraclete. The Holy Spirit, one of his, his main ministries is to call to mind words that God speaks and then to skillfully apply them to our particular situation. And often the help he gives will take one of those two forms of encouragement. It will either challenge us or it will comfort us depending on what we need. But it is a skillful application of the Word of God into the life of someone who needs a kind of encouragement because of where their life is at. We're going to see both aspects of encouragement throughout the life of Barnabas. I want to set up a little context for when we meet Barnabas in the book of Acts. The city of Jerusalem was located where it was for religious reasons entirely, historical and religious reasons. It was there because something significant happened on that spot, and so David decided to build a city there. But its location was terrible for commerce and business. It was in a really remote place, and because of its remoteness, the cost of living was really high in the city of Jerusalem. And that high cost of living created a growing gap between the few who were wealthy and the many who were poor. Many in the new and growing Christian movement were actually Jewish pilgrims who'd come to Jerusalem and at Pentecost had gloriously encountered Jesus, had come to faith in Him, and decided to stay in the city because of the profound experience they'd had. And because they were pilgrims who ended up staying where they were temporarily visiting, a lot of them ended up being day laborers who really struggled financially. You gotta understand that to be poor in the ancient world was to be totally powerless and on your own. And that's why the description that we read in Acts 4.32 is so remarkable. Look what it says. All the believers were one in heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. You know, the truth is that that's, that would be remarkable even today if we said those words about a church. They had such a deep unity that in a world where normally it's dog-eat-dog or every man for himself, they were bound together, not just in heart and mind, which is an important aspect of unity, but they were also bound together in dollars and cents. Meaning for them, unity was not just an attitude or a feeling, it was a costly way of life. And I think that's the kind of unity all of us dream of, is not just that everybody expresses well wishes, but when we really need something, this is a group that stands with us, even if it costs them a lot. When we look further in the passage, God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. You know, a lot of people over the years have read these verses and seen in them a kind of Christian communism. 
a form of socialism in which everyone who entered the Christian community was required to forfeit all of their private property and pool all their money into one collective pot. But that's not what is being described here at all. It's very clear if you read the Gospels and, um, and the Book of Acts carefully that the new Christian community that was growing in Jerusalem still had very much a real sense of personal or private property ownership. People didn't have to do any of this. This unity and this deep sacrificial sharing was 100% voluntary. No one made them do it, but the Spirit of God moved these people to live this way. And so what would happen is even though you still owned all your own stuff, from time to time a great need would arise and some members of that Christian community found that they were in a very difficult spot. If you've ever been there, you know how isolating and lonely it can feel to have this tremendous need and not know where you're going to get your help from. And on those occasions, as the need arose, those who had more in the community would be moved by God to sell something significant, maybe a house, an investment property, a, a field or a piece of land. It was rarely the person's primary residence, but it was usually something that was costly but that they could live without, and they would sell it and take the proceeds and donate them. And, and the way they donated is they laid at the apostles' feet saying, we trust you as the leaders to distribute this according to the need. In other words, this was a community that took care of its own. And that's why even though sometimes people fell into really bad places and into positions of need, at the end of the day, no one in that community stayed in a place of poverty for very long. You know, that might seem like a really rosy and idealistic picture of a Christian community, but here's the truth. Whenever any community tries to live unselfishly and nobly, there will always be those who have different motives and don't play along. And that was, that, there was, um, that was true of the early church as well. In the very next chapter, we read the story of a, a couple named Ananias and Sapphira who, like Barnabas, sold a field that they owned and they donated the proceeds. But in their case, they withheld some of the profit that they'd made so that they could get the full credit for being generous and yet not have to pay the full price of sacrifice. In other words, they wanted to raise their standing without raising their standards. And so this is one of the ugly stories, and God was not happy about what they did because it was always their money anyway, but they wanted to use it to manipulate their standing in the community. Then one chapter later, there's this beautiful uh, expression of a program to, to give help to widows. Okay? And so the church says, we have all these widows among us. Um, how are they going to eat? How are they going to be cared for? And so they decided to take care of the widows, and they appointed some leaders to be administrators of that program. But very soon, that program intended for good degenerated into racial tension and infighting. I'm glad that the Bible is so unflinchingly honest and that God doesn't hide the warts from the story and the history of His people. But that's why in the backdrop of that, where the, the, the ideal was to live with such unity and sharing that no one would suffer for very long, even then, there were people who really made a mess of it. And I think that's why, before we look at the warts, we're introduced to the story of Barnabas and his example, and it stands out in such contrast. In verses 36 to 37, it's just a clear and simple statement of what Barnabas did. 
Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. You know, selling property, I think, is a bigger sacrifice than donating a portion of our income. Because income returns to us regularly. It can always be replaced. But when you sell something like a house or a piece of land, um, that is something that won't be replenished. It's gone forever once you sell, sell it. And especially in the ancient world, property equaled security. Often a piece of land or a home would stay in a family over many generations. So when you let go of something like that, it was never an easy thing to do. And I think many of us understand because we have more than we ever dreamed we would, yet to give up something at that level would still be hard for us today. You know, a lot of people hang on to their money because of greed or materialism. That, that's pretty self-evident. But I think even more people hang on to their money because of fear and uncertainty. It's not that they're greedy, it's more that they're worried that if they relinquish this money now, what if they have need of it later? I truly believe that sharing sacrificially requires more faith than kindness or nobility. In order to give the way Barnabas and some of the other members of the community gave, it doesn't take just this bigness of heart. It, it does take that, but more important ingredient is real faith. Faith that God will take care of me and that God will use these very same people to take care of me should I be the one who later falls into need. And that's why even though property equaled security, these folks were able to give it up freely because they had faith that God and God's people would continue to take care of them down the road. Another thing I see in, in Barnabas' example of giving that was so encouraging to his community was that he gave it freely. And imagine if you were sick and you needed a new kidney. Is that the kind of thing you can just walk up to a friend and say, hey, uh, I'm looking right, right now at Joe. And could I walk up to Joe and say, hey, Joe, listen, I wanted to ask you something. Um, could I have one of your kidneys? You know, that's a really uncomfortable thing because it's such a huge ask. It's the kind of thing that you need, but you can't really ask for. Can you imagine how moved you would be if a friend knew of your plight and without prompting came up to you and said freely, hey, I know where you are right now. I'd like to go and see the doctor. And if I'm eligible, I'd like to give you one of my kidneys. See, it's, the gift is the same whether it's coerced or voluntary, but think about how much more encouragement and blessing comes when someone who didn't have to care about you, who didn't have to show that concern or make a sacrifice, knew about your story and stepped in when they didn't have to. Remember that encouragement comes in two different ways. It could come in challenge or it could come in comfort. And I, I really believe that Barnabas, the way that he sacrificially gave, brought encouragement to the Christian community in both ways. For the people who were in real need and, and absolutely needed that money, his sacrifice actually made the difference between life and death for them. They received great comfort through Barnabas and so were encouraged. But I also believe 
that many others in that community who weren't in need, who actually had plenty, also received encouragement through challenge. That by his example, they felt convicted that they also should live in that same way and do likewise. I want to conclude by taking a look at one other passage from the letter of 1 John, chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. Here's what the Apostle John would write later. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Those are great words. And it's a reminder that Jesus didn't just talk about love. He demonstrated it by giving up his life for us. And I love the way that Eugene Peterson, in his, his uh, paraphrase of the Bible, translates verse 18. If you've never read the message, uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. It's, it's not a technical translation of the Bible, but it's a, a, a veteran pastor's paraphrase of the Bible to capture ideas. And here's how he translates verse 18. My dear children, let's not just talk about love. Let's practice real love. I love that. When Barnabas sold that field and donated the proceeds, his love went from something he felt to something he practiced. I said earlier that sometimes encouragement takes the form of challenge. And that's the way Barnabas and his example affected me this past week. As I wrote this sermon, I kept thinking how many times I've been in the position of connecting people in need to those who had something. But then I, I really thought about it. Why don't I play that role more often financially? Now, no one thinks pastors are super wealthy people, but we're doing well. You know, our church uh, has taken great care of us. God has been very faithful to us. We have margin. And so I was really challenged and encouraged by the example of Barnabas that for me, if I claim to love and be united to others in my Christian community, that can't just be a sympathy I feel. It's got to be something I position my life in order to be able to do. This past Thursday, Jeannie and I talked about this conviction, and we were on the same page. And it was really joyful to realize my wife and I are of the same heart and mind on this. And so we opened up a savings account, and what's cool on Chase is you can nickname your accounts. So we named the savings account the Barnabas Fund. And it, in faith, this account is meant now to be a fund we feed into every month, that just stands ready, and when a need arises, I don't want to just tell others about it. I want to stand in that place and be in a position to help when help is needed. In a couple minutes, um, we're going to hear a song. It's just an instrumental, and rather than singing in response, this morning what I'm going to ask is, as that music is playing, would you open your heart and your mind and your ears to the Spirit of God. I believe that sacrificial sharing 
encourages many other people. It makes God seem more real to the people around us because sacrifice like that can't happen without faith. I marvel when I see people who live with radical generosity and I see firsthand again and again the way it affects the hearts of those who have need. I hope that we all as a church become those kinds of Christians, that for us, sympathy and love and compassion are never just feelings, but they translate into practice. And in order to do that well, we've got to take measures now to put ourselves in a position to be able to help when help is needed. It's one of the great ways we can bring encouragement to the lives of others and help them see God as more real. So as we listen to the music, please listen for the heart of God and His leading. How is He leading you to practice sacrificial sharing and bring encouragement to the people of God? Receive the benediction. May God so reveal His grace and kindness and generosity towards us that we will live secure in the knowledge that we will be okay because God has us in His hands. And as we realize this, may He loosen our grip on things so that we live with radical generosity, that like Barnabas, we encourage others in their low times by sacrificially sharing what God has given us. And should we ever fall into a place of need, May He give us the confidence that because He loves us, He will move His people to also love us. Let's be this kind of church and make God more visible, more real, even to the world around us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.